What's up, everyone? Chandler Adams here, back with Across the Board. I'm with co-host John Kaufman, as usual, and we have special guest Brendan Leister, analyst at PFF, assistant coach at Avon High School, and founder of LeisterFootball.com, where all you Browns fans can go right now and look at the entire roster, both sides of the ball, uh, needs and evaluating the players on the roster currently. Er everything you'll need will be there. Uh, you can follow him at Twitter. Brendan, you want to drop your Twitter handle? I don't have it pulled up. Yeah, it's just that Brendan Leister. You can go there. Uh, it's been I've been, you know, paying close attention to that during these moves. A lot of great insight. Um, and yeah, we're that's we're gonna just break down the moves that the Browns have already made. We're gonna break down moves that you know we might see happen, or I guess what we would like to see happen. Uh, and then we're gonna. You know, maybe the last 10 minutes, if there's time permitting, we'll talk about moves that have happened, like Brady to the Bucks and that kind of thing. God, that sounds so weird off the tongue. But I guess the first move, the biggest move that kind of everyone saw coming a while back is Jack Conklin, offensive tackle, coming to the Browns, $14 million a year for three years. Uh, so we didn't have to break the bank for him. I think he has $30 million guaranteed right around there. Uh, what were your initial impressions on that, Brendan? I mean, is that a move that you liked or just kind of what would you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I like the move. I think, you know, it makes a big difference, like, going into the draft because now they don't feel – they're probably not going to feel the need to draft two tackles. I think there was a chance that they might um, take a, a first-round tackle and then, like, swing – Another one later in the draft, maybe sign an older like free agent like Jason Peters, you know, to just start for one season and then have a young guy come in in a couple years. So, yeah, this really you know solidifies that position for three years. Obviously, um, I think he's just a solid starting right tackle, good good fit in the system, um, just a really good run blocker, especially on why if you look at the splits, he's a really good blocker in the outside zone scheme, which is what they're going to be running a lot of. Um, so. You know, that's a big deal. And I think another thing is, you know, if you look at his true pass sets, uh, you mentioned that. I know that his grade is not great. Um, and Or you mentioned that prior to the podcast, I should say. Um, but, yeah, he's not like a great pure pass protector. And I know that Tennessee, especially early on, they gave him a lot of help in pass protection with uh, keeping in tight ends and chipping uh, with backs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think – the way that the Browns are going to play, they're going to be able to help him in pass protection with using all the play action and the boots off wide zone. That's going to be how they throw the ball a lot. They're going to throw a lot of screens. Um, the thing with Stefanski's offense is he does a lot of things to slow down the rush. And I know we didn't see that in the San Francisco game, obviously, in the playoffs because they were down. But yeah. the idea is with this offense, with all the weapons it has, with um, you know looking at Mayfield in this offense, you have to project that he's going to get back to playing better. I mean, that's kind of what we all have to envision at this point, just being cautiously optimistic. <laughs> so if he's playing better and the pass game is the way it should be, I don't think those true pass sets are going to happen too often because I think the Browns should be in games with leads, not playing from behind. And so you won't have to worry about him pass protecting on an island too often where you're getting five receivers out all the time and all that kind of stuff. Um, also, with like all the 12 personnel, they're probably going to play with one back, two tight ends. Uh, there will be times where they keep you know, one of the tight ends in and pass protection off play action or uh, maybe even go with a seven-man protection, go play action, take a shot down the field. And now all of a sudden, 
in those situations, maybe let's say you take three pass attempts a game just to take a shot in those situations. Well, now you've got a solidified pocket and everybody kind of has help because you've got seven guys in protection. So I think the Browns are going to mix it up with the way that they throw the ball. And I would be a lot more concerned if he was going somewhere like, let's say, Arizona, for example, where they're in 10 personnel a lot, <laughs> one running back, zero tight ends. They're a lot more spread out. The tackles are blocking on an island all day long. Um, I think that would be much worse scheme fit. Whereas in Cleveland, you know, they're going to have a, a fullback in a, a decent amount. They're going to play with two tight ends more often. They're going to mix up the personnel groupings. And also they're going to probably mix in the run a good amount, especially since Chubb's such a good running back. And I think he's such a good fit for this run scheme. So um, I like the fit a lot. And I also like the value. Um, you alluded to, you know, before the podcast also, you thought that he might get 18 million. And I, I was kind of under the impression he might, you know, break the bank also. But I think that what we're seeing is the NFL's kind of, and I think the Browns hit on this two times, actually, they took advantage of this, but I think the NFL's kind of archaic with the way that they value right tackles versus left tackles. Um, there's still a money difference. There's still a difference between what the right tackles get paid, the top right tackles and the top left tackles. And that just really doesn't align with what the data shows. Because if you look at all the data that uh, PFF has found all the research that data scientists have looked at and all that stuff, they found that there's not really a statistical difference in the value between a right tackle and a left tackle. <laughs> it's, it's basically the same. And you look at a lot of the best pass rushers around the NFL, they're rushing from over the right tackle. So teams need good pass protectors. Just they need solid players at right and left tackle. It's not a, it's not a deal where, you know, it's not 1990 anymore where you can have this finesse left tackle that's a great pass protector and your right tackle is just a mauler. You know, <laughs> you need solid guys at both spots. And I think that's where the Browns kind of took advantage of the system a little bit and signed Conklin at a deal where they got him a little bit cheaper than people expected, and that's because he's a right tackle. Yeah, I think that's something that I was very – I did – I mean, not – tooting my own horn but this is the exact front office i envisioned you know people wanted mcdaniels and that he would have brought in his own front office but the way that andrew barry and kevin stefanski are able to adapt to the news data that's out there they're not so stuck in their ways and egotistical that they think this is how it is this is how i think this is you know this is what needs to be done and you're alluding to that with the data that's out there for the right and left tackles that's something that we might not have seen with a guy like, you know, John Dorsey or you go to New York, Dave Gettleman, these football guys, because apparently analysts can't be football guys. I hate that. I hate that thought process. But it's it's uh, that's something that the Browns absolutely needed. They needed something with more structure, not just I have a feeling on this guy. I want him or I didn't draft him, so I won't sign him back. That's a story for a different time. But. John, what were your thoughts on the Conklin? It looked like you wanted to say something there. Um, same. Um, I mean, looking at the list of available tackles, um, you know, once Costanzo re-signed with Indy, um, I mean, after that, like, you know, Brian Balaga signed with the Chargers. Um, Andrew Whitworth just re-signed with the Rams. I mean, apparently he's a, Iron Man because they gave him a three-year deal. I know, right? <laughs> he's 38. Um, yeah, I mean, Jason Peters is, you know, obviously a name that's come up for like a one year deal. Um, and then obviously the, um, uh, Trent Williams from Washington, you know, if he's still seeking a trade, um, 
which actually I did want to ask you, uh, Brendan, if you if if the Browns could get Williams for one of those third round picks and it's like, I don't know, let's say it's going to be a two, three year deal, you know, nothing crazy. Um, what do you think for something like that is like a an option, you know, to give them flexibility for the draft and beyond? Um. I wouldn't be interested in that at this point because I don't like the idea of tying up that much cap space into the offensive line. Um, I, ju- I just think, you know, the offensive line is important, but I think it's a lot more important to just have solid players across the board than it is to have like all pros across the board where you're paying them all a bunch of money. And the Browns already have a ton of money tied up into Treader, Petonio, and Conklin now. So I think it's really important that they, you know, for one, I'm predicting – Right now, I've been predicting all along. I just think they're going to take a left tackle in the first round. You know, before I was like, yeah, maybe it'll be a left tackle, right tackle, whatever. Like, I think they're going to take their left tackle at 10 or in a trade down. And that guy's going to be, you know, their guy for a long time. They need to get a solid player there. But, you know, first round picks, they don't get paid that much. I mean, he'll be one of the higher paid players on the team. But still, it won't be... Like the Cowboys a few years ago, like their the assets that they were putting into their offensive line was it was off the charts. I mean, it was insane. And they're only going like eight and eight. And that's because you've got to allocate some of that cap room to the rest of your roster. You you can't just put it all into the offensive line. And also, I've made this point before with some of the past offensive line coaches the Browns had, like Campin last year. But like if you've got Bill Callahan, who you think is one of the best offensive line coaches in the league, why are you feeling the need to spend all all this money on the O-line on four different spots, maybe even five. Some people are talking about getting a, you know, a veteran right guard that's better than what they've got too. Why are you doing that when this guy's supposed to be able to develop young talent? You know, you should be able to at least use a little bit less money and take a little bit less of a cap hit and uh, just spread it out across your O-line. So yeah, I think going a little cheaper at left tackle, I know it is a first round pick, but I just think the stars are aligning for that to happen. And then at right guard, I think it just makes sense to let, uh, I think for letting uh, Wyatt Teller and and Drew Forbes probably battle it out, battle it out for that starting job. So I uh, we don't have to you know speak on this long because Drew Forbes has I mean almost as limited amount of tape as you can get out there on a NFL player. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to find anything from. I'm pulling this out of my butt, but I think it's southeastern Missouri or state or something like that university. Um, have you been able to watch him at all to get a feel on him? I just didn't know if you had a, you know, cause he came out with that sports illustrated story about him. I didn't know if you had ever seen tape on him or what your thoughts were on him. Cause we obviously saw Wyatt Teller who I, I think played good enough with the talent around him, Treader and Batonio especially, and now Conklin coming in. But do you have any thoughts on Forbes or if you've been able to watch him enough? I just thought he was up and down in the preseason last year. I mean, I actually went through like the whole, you guys might've seen it, but I've been tweeting out my depth chart that I update every year mm-hmm. and I, I update it whenever you move is made. And, um, yeah, you made me really 20, fear this defense. Yeah. I did not realize just how... <laughs> yeah. I've been doing that for a few years now. Yeah. So I actually went through and I have like a color coded copy that I've got for myself. I'm not tweeting it out because all the grades obviously are behind a paywall and I don't want to share all that right now with, uh, with Twitter uh, for people that don't have PFF, but because um, that would be frowned upon. But <laughs> I know Forbes graded, it was a 61.2 grade in the preseason, and that's that's okay. It's like, I'll just say he was up and down. So yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I think that there's a chance, though. You know, it's there's Bill Callahan. I mean, yeah, they need to be able to get something out of out of one of those two guys. And I and I thought that Teller, I thought early in the year he didn't play great. He was, I would say, up and down. But as the season went on, I thought he showed a lot more good things. And it kind of went out that way with the grades. Um, his grade for the season was a 56.7, and he was, I would consider that below average. But, but you know, let's let's give these guys a chance to develop and see what they can do. I mean, if you've got one player on your whole offense that's, you know, okay or maybe slightly below average, I think that you can you can manage. Um, a lot of teams have a few guys like that, and and also these guys don't project, in my opinion, to be complete black holes. Like I would say, I've been talking about that a lot with the defense. Like they had a lot of black holes on defense last year. If you look at the at the grades for the season, and uh, and I mean, these guys don't look like black holes like Eric Cush was early last year. I would say these guys look more like okay. And I think you can win on the offensive line with okay, especially if it's just your fifth guy. So, well, yeah, your I point mean, about Cam Callahan is on a Super Bowl team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. But the point about Callahan, though, is really good because you're absolutely right. Like, if you, why bring in a coach to that caliber if you don't think that he can, you know, develop um, obviously some of the younger guys that you have um, on the roster? So, that's first and foremost. Second of all, whenever you see, um, especially ESPN lately, they have keep putting up this uh, pass block win rate uh, chart that they have. Um, mm-hmm. And they talk about how when you, you know, the dichotomy with the Browns is essentially the tackles on the ends were dreadful, you know, 134th and lower. And then the interior part, you know, Treader, Batonio and um, Teller were, you know, fairly good or actually really good. And so I guess that's, I think I was thinking of it like they're going to need to find three linemen, you know, the both tackles and the right guard spot. But after seeing some of this, you know, and hearing you talk about it, like, I don't, it doesn't seem like you're saying like Teller is, you know, this massive hole, like Mm -hmm. that's probably a wait and see spot. And if you like, there's no, like you said, there's no reason to go out and sign, you know, some veteran guy for, you know, whatever money, because you can just as easily have the guy already on your roster and Wyatt Teller. Right. And it also might get to day three. And I know that everybody does the mock drafts and the projections and, and all that stuff. And everybody wants to just go need, 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 need. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's not reality. It's just not. And on the, when you're sitting there, you know, making picks on draft day on the on draft weekend and it gets to the fifth round. If there's a guard that somehow fell to you that you have maybe a third round grade on and your offensive line coach loves him, you're going to take him. If he's right. the best player on the board, you're going to take him. And, and you know, people at home are like, why are we taking a guard? I thought they liked Teller. But that's just not <laughs> the way this works. It's just not. So, you know, that might happen. And maybe that guy wins the job. And, you know, then they'll have a fifth-round rookie starting for him. But Callahan maybe did a hell of a job with him in training camp. Um, yep, yeah. But, yeah, so I think, you know, there's options on the table. But I think that that right guard spot needs to be a cheap player for 2020. Yeah. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. There. So we can kind of use this as going into the next player, which is Austin Hooper, but I'm not sure I haven't looked into it enough, but is there data out there available by PFF that suggests that, you know, the better weapons you have, which if you look at the Browns, they had a bad year last year. You know, most players underperformed, but they've got a hell of a wide receiver duo. Uh, They've got one of the best backs in the league, have a quarterback who showed, a lot of promises rookie year and had a big slump his second year. And now you've got two tight ends who 
you know, at Austin Hooper, I, I like to pick up. I do want to warn people that, like, you know, there's data by PFF that shows he basically can't win a one-on-one matchup. I mean, I over-exaggerating here, but, you know, whoever's watching this right now, you could probably guard him one-on-one. He wouldn't get open. Obviously, he'd get open. But his one-on-one matchup wins last year were, were almost non-existent. He did a lot. He had to, you know, get open whether it was underneath or finding holes in the zone. But is there, you know, data out there that suggests the better, you know, weapons you have, obviously – cheaper your O-line can be or is that just something that makes sense in your head but doesn't really pan out in real life yeah so it kind of goes with uh you know I've talked about it a lot we'll probably get to it more when I talk about defense or when we talk about defense but um I know that like having receivers that can separate early in the down definitely benefits your quarterback you know so if your quarterback's on the same page with your receivers and the ball's coming out on time I mean, we didn't see a lot of that last year, but it was just a mess from a coaching standpoint. You know, if, if Stefanski and, and all those guys have the offense clicking, yeah, having weapons and Mayfield being confident and comfortable and getting the ball out of his hand at the top of his drop, like we saw a lot in 2018 when I thought he was really well coached by Zampezi and really well prepared. You know, he really knew where to go with the football a lot of times during that season and he wasn't holding it forever like he did so often in 2019 his pocket presence looked a lot better because he was more sure of himself and he knew where to get get the ball out and um he didn't take all the pressures and sacks that he did last year um so yeah if we see that absolutely i mean there has been data that showed that um, really you know the offensive line always gets talked about because people talk about winning in the trenches and all that but really the more data that comes out and the more that the data scientists work on it the more that they've found that really the most valuable players are the ones that, you know, it's the quarterback, it's the guys that catch the ball and score the touchdowns, and it's also the guys that cover those guys. And that's the three most valuable pieces. Um, so, yeah, I think Austin Hooper, like to get into him a little bit, I think it's a really good fit with Mayfield and just what he does. Um, one of the things with him is he's – I noticed this at Oklahoma. It's stood true ever since, and sometimes even last year it would – lead to interceptions which I kind of thought might happen when I saw him when I studied him Oklahoma but when he misses he tends to miss high and you know he has receivers that can play big and hopefully the more that he plays with them they can go up and get the ball more often make those catches that sometimes he just misses on slightly hopefully this upcoming season his mechanics are better and he doesn't miss high so often but I think having Hooper who he plays like his last name I told my wife what he plays like and he's like oh so he plays like a basketball player i was like yeah you're right he plays like a hooper i mean he does he can go up and get the ball in traffic um fantastic at going up and getting the ball that's probably his best trade i would say is he's just got great hands never drops the ball very very much people talk about with young quarterbacks that they need that security blanket in the tight end well he is exactly that you know he's gonna catch the ball when it's thrown to him He's going to find the soft spots between zones and slow down his route for the quarterback, um, not to run to be covered. You know, I think sometimes we don't notice that stuff when we watch games, but that is those are little things that happen where guys, you know, get behind one linebacker and then the next one's a few yards away. Well, you got to slow down your route a little bit to make sure that you're still open when the ball get, comes out and toward you. So, um, yeah, I think he's a really good fit with Mayfield. Uh, the contract – Again, I think they kind of hit on a market inefficiency here. I mean, yeah, he's the highest paid tight end, but the the thing with that is tight ends just aren't paid very much. 
And, yeah. and like Joe Banner tweeted about this and he said he was shocked that it wasn't more. He was like, you know, this, this market needs reset. Kelsey and, and uh, Kittle, I mean, those guys, whatever they're going to get paid, it's got to be astronomical whenever it happens. But, but it, the tight end position is just not at that point. And so I think the Browns realized that and they knew that they were going to play a lot of 12 personnel this year. And they wanted to get that security blanket for Mayfield. And also just like over the middle of the field, like think about all the times that he would throw a high pass to Demetrius Harris and the ball just goes off his hands. Maybe it gets intercepted, you know? Yeah. He's not going to be precise all the time. And sometimes, I mean, I'm hard on quarterbacks because I coach quarterbacks and I expect <laughs> the placement to be spot on all the time, you know? So I'm, I expect a lot from Mayfield as an analyst, but sometimes those high balls, you know, you want them to be completed. I mean, it's just facts. The ball can't be on the face mask every single time. They're not all going to be perfect. And yeah. so with Austin Hooper, there's a much bigger catch radius. And I think that's going to benefit them. Uh, whenever the signing was made, I predicted that he'd, I think he's just, he's probably going to score between five and eight touchdowns next year, I would imagine, because they're just, you know, he's just the type of player in the middle of the field that Mayfield's going to love. And I think another thing with him too, with the intermediate level is, like when he's working between zones or even if even if he doesn't gain separation, if it's man to man in a one on one matchup, I think Mayfield has the ability to put the ball on his body or put it in a spot where he can go and box the guy out and make catches. So even yeah. though he's not great at separating, I think Mayfield has that mentality and that aggressiveness that he'll make those those throws to him because I think he'll trust him and maybe Matt Ryan Maybe Matt Ryan didn't do that all the time when he was covered. I haven't gone into the tape that much to really study that aspect, but that's just something to consider is that Mayfield has a really aggressive mindset, and I think he'll love forcing the ball to Hooper, even when he's covered, and some of those balls are going to be completions. Yeah, I I, uh, I subscribe to PFF, so I always I love to read the QB annuals. Uh, it, you know, the first time I tried to read one, I – had to like take 12 breaks just reading the descriptions of the things because I couldn't comprehend it. You know, now that I look at it every year and especially Baker's rookie year, it really is amazing the window he can get balls into with, you know, not a lot of, you know, separation on quarterback. Hopefully, hopefully it was, you know, mechanics and coaching and, you know, all that. Just everything leading up to game day that was wrong with him last year and hopefully he can get back to that and you know Hooper can help him out with you know just using his body to shield off defenders if he's not able to win one-on-one -on -one. but John I know I know you really like the signing so what were you, you know what do you have to say about it just a couple things real fast um first of all you know they asked uh they asked him Austin Hooper you know what he thought about this and he you know he came right out and said I picked Cleveland this is where I wanted to be like I like Never Baker Mayfield that. I think it was I was I was, I read the quote and I was like, well, this is fantastic. Like you don't, you know, first of all, you never hear this, you know, it's always the stigma of, well, you have to trade for Jarvis Landry because you can't, <laughs> he's not going to come here. So you have to give up, you know what I mean? Something to get him. Yeah. And for a while there, I don't blame anyone for thinking that was true. Cause it probably was, it's, it was going to be a tough sell to get somebody to come here. Charlie um, Fry's every tight end stream quarterback. Right. <laughs> of course, <laughs> naturally. Right. Yeah. Do I get to work with Brandon Whedon? Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I mean, he just came right out and said like this, you know, this offense is on the way up. I like, you know, Baker's, uh, you know, an awesome quarterback like this. This is where I want to be. So how can you not love that right off the get go? Second of all, the, the money is fantastic. Like you said, you know, it's 44 million. So he makes 11 a year um, on a four year deal. He's going to be he's the highest paid tight end. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's going to make 
when when Hopkins' deal gets redone with Arizona, it's going to be $20 million, right around there. So he'll make about half what Hopkins makes. And I'm not saying that Hooper and Hopkins are the same player by any stretch. But, like, you know, I mean, Hooper in 13 games last year was, what, 97 catches, 787 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, 97 catches on an $11 million a year guy, like, that's phenomenal. That's unbelievable value. So, you know, that part stood out to me. It was really great. Um you know, for the money. And then again, like you said, like, you know, he, he's not Kelsey, he's not Kittle. Like that's obvious, right? He's nowhere near the athlete that those guys are and no one is whatever say anything, you know, otherwise. So, but that's okay. That's not, you know, this guy is like you said, uh, Brendan, just, you know, find, uh, you know, the soft spot in the zone, sit down, you know, run really smart routes and be where you need him to be. Um, and just, uh, you know, catch the ball, like his ability to catch it with his hands away from his body is unbelievable. I mean, highlight after highlight last year um, where he just, you know, it, it looked like it was not going to be a catchable ball or something, you know, and he made a lot of things look routine. That was, that was pretty difficult. There were pretty difficult throws. Um, so, yeah, I just, I'm excited about this guy. I mean, I think one of the issues with the Browns last year was, you know, very famously the red zone struggles, they get down to the red zone against Buffalo and other teams. And you're just like, there isn't when you look at the offense, there isn't a guy that the defense is really afraid of just from a physical standpoint. Right. And I know they had their issues getting the ball to Beckham, but like Beckham and Juice aren't the biggest guys. And, you know, so you just you add him to the mix. And now all of a sudden it's like, damn it, like you I maybe that fade, you know, that little quick fade, whatever is not the highest percentage play. But at least it's an option now. At least it's in their minds that this could happen. And it's just one more thing you have to worry about. So the more ways you can, you know, threaten a defense, whether it's perceived threats or real, I mean, that's important. And so and that's what this guy does. And yeah, I'm just I mean, this is a I really like this signing a lot. I mean, it's fantastic. And like Brendan, like you said also, in, in two years, three years, when Kittle and Kelsey redo deals and everybody else, this guy will be the sixth highest paid tight end. You know what I mean? It'll look like wow, what a bargain, you know, and when he's mm. done off his, and he's 25 as well. So again, he'll be you know, right. 28 when he's done with his contract. So yeah, this is an A plus for me. I really love this signing. So good job, Andrew Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I was like, you were mentioning, um, you know, he's not Kittle or Kelsey, obviously nobody's really like those guys, but he is a lot like Zach Ertz who definitely gets a lot more hype than him, but like Zach Ertz, I was honestly, I wasn't a fan of him coming out of college and it was for the same reasons that people don't like Hooper, like not a great athlete. Also just not a very good blocker, which I may be overrated at that point in time, but still like there was just nothing like fantastic about him. Like I loved Eifert compared to him. I loved Kelsey compared to him. But the thing is Zach Ertz is so good at just, you know, finding soft spots and zones, just getting that little like tiny, just a step of separation and then catching the ball with his hands Quarterback can always throw it to him like Wentz and Bowles over the years of just, you know, throwing him a thousand targets, it seems like. And he just <laughs> comes down with the ball every time. If it's third down, go to him. You know, they put him in the slot. They put him in, you know, as a wing, in line, outside, whatever. I think Hooper probably, I mean, I think he can be used that way too. They can move him around probably a lot more than Atlanta did. Um, and I did hear someone say that the Browns felt that he was underutilized which is funny because you just mentioned that he had what nearly a hundred catches. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think they felt probably like his skill set had more, more that, that could be, you know, there was more juice to squeeze out of the yep. orange, so to speak. Yep. So yeah, I think, 
I think that's something to keep in mind. And Andrew Barry was around the Eagles for the past year, so maybe he saw that up up close and just felt. And maybe that was something that he took away from that. That that quarterback needs that that security blanket that Ertz has always been for those quarterbacks. Yeah, I like that point. Yeah. And uh, you don't have to talk on it long because obviously we still want to get to the two more signings and we don't have to harp on long. But then the defense, I think, is important to talk about. But real quick, because I know this is in a lot of Browns' minds, what do you think this means for Ninjoku, who has been pretty underwhelming as a first-round pick, especially for a tight end? But, you know, you can't... Watching Ninjoku, you can never deny his size and athleticism. It's it's outstanding, but he has he has catching pro he's had catching problems. Uh, you know, last year, whatever the hell was going on with him and Freddie, it's really hard to speak on anything that happened last year. No players are talking about it, which is a good thing. But you know, does do you think this helps um, Ninjoku maybe get a better matchup? You know, he'll probably get. Uh, you know, unless teams are smart and want to, you know, not try to cover two tight ends like this with linebackers, but there are probably still teams that will try that. Um, like, do you think this helps him get better matchups? Do you think, you know, this maybe takes his um, practice up a little bit? I don't know if that's a thing that really happens. I think these players are probably working their ass off anyway. They're in the NFL. But what do you think this means for Ninjoku? Well, I think one thing that it does is it puts like a, a veteran that's you know, been successful in the room with them. I, mm-hmm. I got a vibe, you know, I get just, this is corny, but my wife, like I'm good at reading people. I just am. I'll just be honest. I am. I get like, I'll, I'll get a first impression on someone and I can read them. And I'll just say, I never thought Demetrius Harris was good for the room last year. I don't mm-hmm. think he was good for the room. I just don't. And that was just the vibe that I got from, you know, following along on social media, you know, looking at him in training camp, watching practice habits, just you watch him on game day, the way that he would play even in preseason, like just a very nonchalant player. Like that's not a good veteran to have around David Njoku as he's trying to develop. Like he's still a really young player. He's like 22, 23 years old or whatever. Um, I think having Austin Hooper around him will be a good thing for him. You know, he'll see what a guy on his second deal that, has been around success. Like he's been around, he's been to the Super Bowl. You know, he was with Kyle Shanahan. He, he played with Matt Ryan for a long time. You know, that's going to benefit Mayfield too. Having, you know, a guy that played with Matt Ryan all those years. Now he's going to come to Mayfield. He's going to be able to tell him yeah. some things like, Hey, we did it this way. This worked. Um, but yeah, like, I think that's going to be just good for Najoku's development, just being around him all the time and seeing the practice habits and then the meeting rooms and all those types of things. Cause I think having a veteran presence that counts for something. And um, and the Browns just did not have enough of that across the roster last year. There were there was, it was just a ton of players. I think not even, it's it goes beyond the obvious ones, which I'm kind of alluding to right now. I think even like Greg Robinson got benched for the New England game. There's more to that than just playing poorly. Like he had his best pass protecting game of the season against Seattle. Then the bye week happens. Then he gets benched against New England. Like. That's not yeah. just a coincidence, you know? So there was a ton. And then we hear, obviously, the weed thing in the offseason. So there was just a whole bunch of players that was issues. So I think that'll benefit Najoku. Also, um, I mean, I, I think last year it's just such a such a fluky type thing with him. Like Mayfield made an awful play on the play where he got hurt, where he could have thrown it to him a lot earlier. And then he, I think he scrambled or whatever. He held the ball forever. And then he throws it to Najoku high in traffic. And then he comes down and it looks like he almost broke his neck. He breaks his wrist yeah. in the process. Like that was just a very fluky injury. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, his season is just like I was, like I said, just a fluky situation. Um, and also, I always think back to the back half of 2018. I mean, Njoku became a very, very reliable yep. weapon for the offense. Um, and I red zone tweeted out, Yeah, I tweeted the numbers out a few days ago. I don't remember exactly what it was. I don't have it in front of me. But, I mean, he was consistently making plays. He only had one drop. And, and this was all after Hugh got fired, you know, because the team played with a – I mean, pl- they played with a fire under their ass after he got fired. And and he only had one drop in the back half of the season. He caught, I don't know, 30-some balls, I think. I think he had one or two touchdowns in the back half of the season. Um, so, like, he, he played really well. And he was the sixth highest graded tight end in the NFL in the back half of 2018. So, wow. if they can get him back to playing like that next to Hooper – and like you alluded to, you know, if he gets some of those bad matchups where maybe maybe the defense puts a safety on Hooper or a nickel on Hooper, but they put a linebacker on Najoku, well, now you're in a situation where, you know, he's going to cook. And and so I just think, you know, it gives them really good personnel for running 12 personnel as much as they're going to. And Najoku and Hooper are both guys that you can split them out wide. You can play them in the slot. You can play them, you know, all over the offense. And it just gives you more movable chess pieces. One of the first things that Stefanski said was that he wants to be multiple. And these that move with Hooper, which was something I didn't really think would happen because I thought they might have more faith in their second and third tight ends. But the more that I think about it since it happened, the more I like this, the Hooper signing and the more I think it's really going to benefit Najoku's development. Yeah, I, uh, my girlfriend always makes fun of me because, uh, you know, the day David Njoku was drafted, outside of obviously Miles Garrett, that I mean, I was just so excited for Njoku because, his, I mean, just his size and his speed at the tight end position, just I absolutely loved, and you know, I'm still, you know, whether I'm, you know, over, I have way too much faith in him or not. I he's one of my favorite players on the Browns, you know, but she always, you know talks about how you know he he drops passes and he played badly and i try to say what you said like he had a he had a fluke injury and then and i was at the Bengals game in cleveland when he got hurt and dropped the ball and they called it a interception or whatever the hell that play oh, was that so thing. ugly yeah that was ugly i that that place got so loud and it went from packed to absolutely like 10 fans in the stadium after that but <laughs> you know i i really like ninjoku i think there are going to be a lot of teams with football guys running and running it, and they're going to try to match David Njoku up or even Austin Hooper up with a linebacker, which is just a terrible idea. But I'm all for that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's great points with you know having Austin Hooper in there, who at 25 has seen a lot in his NFL career and has played with a lot of great players, including Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, just for starters, and being around a mind like Kyle Shanahan and you know seeing up close and personal what Rob Gronkowski can do to you in the uh, Super Bowl. But it was, uh, he's seen a lot and, you know, Njoku's going to want that second contract. So there's a lot he can learn from him. But uh, these are two signings, the Case Keenum uh, and Janovich. I probably didn't pronounce that right, but. No, you did. uh, Yeah. Okay, good. I don't pronounce a lot of names right on here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those are two signs we don't have to talk long about. Uh, 
I just want to know your thoughts on the Case Keenum deal. I thought I think six million dollars a year, or uh, I, you know, I I think it's okay. It's a it's a nice backup price. Case Keenum's, I would say, a top tier backup quarterback. I think it'll help Baker Mayfield. You know, Case Keenum's played in some pretty big games. He's been around the league for a long time. I don't really love the narrative that you know Baker wasn't trying last year because he didn't have a backup. He didn't have a quarterback pushing him. I don't. I think Baker Mayfield's a pretty hard worker. I don't think that's going to change it, but kind of what your thoughts are on Case Keenum coming in and then obviously Janovich trading him for a 2021 seventh is a good value, but kind of what he brings in your eyes. Yeah. So Keenum was a guy that I wanted, you know, ever since the season ended and they hired Stefanski, I just thought that it was a perfect fit. Um, yeah. I, st- I started thinking about that before they even hired Stefanski. I was just thinking if they if they get him as the coach, I think bringing Case Keenum just makes all the sense in the world. Um, I've just I've seen him in press conferences because the Vikings do a really good job of like getting their coaches like on video, just asking them a lot of questions and stuff. So you really get to hear them, you know, give a lot of opinions on things, and it just it would be cool if they did that with the Browns coaches, honestly. Um, but I just remember hearing him talk about Case Keenum and how he was just coach's son, you know, like does all the right things, like really good, like does everything the right way, just all the cliche stuff. But he clearly meant it. And you could tell that he was that's really how he feels about him. And I think, again, situation where like, I don't know, there's people have alluded to the quarterback room being kind of like clicky last year where it was just situation where like they're all like buddy buddy and isolated from the rest of the team uh including the quarterback's coach which which you never want to see because a player is going to get complacent when their coach is that way with them all the time um and that showed up on the field too with the fundamental things and stuff but i think having van pelt van pelt who rogers you know, has talked about how Alex Van Pelt coached him hard and he actually appreciated that and it made him a better quarterback, he felt. Um, having a guy that's going to coach Mayfield hard on his fundamentals all the time and have, have high standards. Stefanski is a guy that's the same way, even though he doesn't come across that way all the time, uh, maybe to the media, you know, with some of the like dry humor and sarcasm that he shows. Um, and then having Keenum with him all the time in the QB room as well. I think that's just a lot of good influences for Mayfield as he develops in this really huge pivotal year three. Like they really have to get this right. And I think it's worth the money to have that guy in there. Um, Another thing is like, they're just like, they're similar sizes too. Like they just, it's, it's funny how the offense can be, it can be kind of the same if Mayfield goes out and he goes in. Like, they just play similar games. It's just that Mayfield has a much bigger arm, and he's a lot more talented of a player with better instincts. But we did see the magic that, you know, Keenum had tossing it up to Thielen and Diggs back in 2017. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think it's cool to have a good, reliable backup, but most of it is for his, you know, his veteran presence and some of what I talked about with the potential with Hooper in the tight end room. Um, oh, yeah. and then with uh, with Janovich um, tweeted this, but yeah, I, I was thinking that it would be smart for them to go after a fullback and undrafted free agency, but you know, trading a 20, uh, 2021 seventh round pick, that's exactly the same as undrafted free agency, but they just got a veteran that's you know good at everything you want a fullback to be good at. He's good on special yeah. teams, he can catch, 
He can run the ball some. He he's a good run blocker. And he's also a good pass protector. So like he does everything you want a fullback to do. It's just Denver gave him away because they're not going to use a fullback anymore. So you know, there's again there's kind of a market inefficiency on fullbacks. Not all the teams yeah. use them, so it's really easy to get one of the best ones. And so the Browns were able to do that, and now they have a new starting fullback. And uh, you know he's going to play five to 15 snaps a game probably when they go 21 or 22 personnel. But as long as he does his job well in those situations, I think it's a good pickup for them. I agree. John, what'd you think about the Keenum pickup? I I mean, bottom line is this, like you either have a backup quarterback in the NFL that you reasonably think could win a game for you if they had to start or you don't, it's that simple. Like you, there's, and there's very, very few of those guys, really, really few, right? Most of the time, if your quarterback gets hurt and you have to put the backup in, it's just like, this is, you know, you have Pittsburgh season where you're like, somehow Mason Rudolph is worse than Duck Hodges. Like, I don't even know how that's possible, but this was, you know, that was just a, a train wreck of to, a shit show. So yeah, you have to hope on a defense that way outperforms their ability. And they're a good defense, but you know, that defense it's something that we'll talk about when we get to the defense. Defense is really hard to repeat at a super high level year in and year out. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, and like, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. I mean, that's a good point. Like they, you know, they were winning games because of that defense basically, but they couldn't, yeah. you know, they went weeks in a row without scoring an offensive touchdown. And so, you know, I mean, it, like I said, you just, you know, anyways, the bottom line is Keenum is a guy that you're reasonably sure he could, you know, he might be able to win a game, right? I'm not saying he's yeah. going into Kansas City and going to lead up, you know, when you're down 21 or whatever, but, you know, home game against, I don't know, you know, Cincinnati or, you know, just any, whatever, some random team. Like, I think you're, you'd be reasonably confident if things are going well and not, not a lot of injuries and stuff like that. Yeah, Keenum might be able to start this game and win. So, but yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I don't know. That's probably, and it's basically the Chase Daniel deal. It's, I think it's like the exact same money in terms and everything like that. So, you know, it's like what you I get take for Keenum over Daniels. Exactly. And, and that's a good oh, point. Yeah. And I would too. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, Keenum, I think he won a playoff game with Houston. I think. He, I think well, he they, took the Vikings of the NFC championship. That was what I was alluding to. Oh yeah. 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 Minnesota miracle. That was the craziest play miracle. I've ever seen in my yes. life. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, that's a good Terrible point. tackling. Okay. Yeah, tackling I think he had what? I mean, his his year, I mean, it was like 27 touchdowns and seven picks or so. It was something ridiculous. He obviously right. played above his head. And and I, I think even his PFF grades were like, it kind of showed that a lot of that was just the receivers. Like, he wasn't making great plays. He was just kind of tossing it up, and those guys were dominant. And that was the way that that season just kind of went for them. They just had a lot of good luck. But, I mean, Stefanski was his QB coach that year, so he was with him every day in the room. He knows the type of guy he is, and that was an easy connection to make, and I'm glad they made that move. I think something that stands out with all, all four of the moves they made is the targeted guys, they got them. You know, they, they wanted those yeah. guys. They wanted to shore up the offense. You just talked about how defense, it's hard to sustain defense over time. Well, I mean, that's, that's another thing the data shows is, like, offense, quarterback play, passing, like those are the things that are most stable and most predictive of winning over time. Defense, it's hard to keep a good defense together year after year. A lot of defense is based on the defensive coordinator, you know, how he puts guys in certain matchups and mix and matches personnel. I mean, that's huge. Um, also, who you're playing in a given week. Like if you're playing the Chiefs, your defense is probably going to have a bad week. 
It's just facts. You better score a lot of points or you're not going to beat the Chiefs. You're not going to stop them. It's it's just the way it is. Like the Rams two years ago, they're putting up 30 points a game. Well, your defense is probably not going to stop the Rams. You better score a lot of points on offense. So um, it just shows like offense year to year is much more predictive. Um, we've seen teams like the Jaguars three years ago, the Bears two years ago. I think it's about to happen with San Francisco a little bit where they're going to take a step back. You know, these teams that are all predicated on defense, 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 like it's hard to sustain. And um, again, and also here's another thing with the coverage. I, I alluded to coverage being so valuable earlier. Well, I mean, one issue with coverage is that it's unstable year to year. So players, you might cover well one year, but but it's hard to sustain that year after year. And that's what makes guys like, like Richard Sher- Sherman, for example, or Stephon Gilmore so special is that those guys have been able to sustain that success over time. But in general, it's just so much harder to predict when a guy's going to have a down year in coverage. And that's just another thing that makes defense so unstable and unpredictable year to year. Yeah, there's a, we'll get, we'll slide right into the defense. Cause I thought you brought up a really great point that I want to hit back on, but I did want to just wrapping up the offense. It's just so it's, and it's amazing what this front office is doing. Uh, I can't remember if it was before we started recording, Brendan, but you you said something about I I think the Browns have a limit, and you know they're not willing to go over that limit for mediocre players that you know the contracts are going to look bad a year or maybe even halfway into next season, and uh, it's it's been a long time, it's been not not in my time since the Browns have been able to go out in the free agent market, get their top target, and pay them less than what the you know market value is uh so i think that's you know it's a step in the right direction and andrew barry at such a ripe young age like i'm the youngest gm in the nfl and he's not making moves out of he's not feeling nervous like he has to go make a big splash on a mediocre player which blowing me away i think he's handling this really well getting the players they need not overpaying for him that cannot be stressed enough but you brought up um yeah, I don't. In your tweet earlier, I read your tweet how you talked about how defense is more predicated on who your um, who your de- defensive coordinator is, and then matchups, obviously. But so, was a guy like Chris Harris Jr. ever someone that you thought the Browns should target? Because he's a, he he's a great slot, he's a great nickel cornerback. But the problem is, you just said it it's hard to tell when a guy might have a down coverage year and Chris Harris is getting Chris Harris jr. Is getting up there in age. So is defense something that, you know, you try to fill in with value player, you know, go on the free agent market or in the draft, try to get players for, you know, maybe a little under the market value or is it all, or do you have to have a good mix of value players and also, you know, people that are going to be paid highly, like, Miles Garrett, and obviously if you can get a Stephon Gilmore, but you know what I mean. Is it something that you want to have a good mix of or maybe spend all your money on offense and just try to get value on defense? I think we're kind of seeing it right now. I mean, we're about to see how the Browns attack defense. Um, My opinion on it is, you know, I shared the article today that Eric Eager from PFF wrote, and uh, and he talked, he, he he looked at the data on, you know, looking at stars like players that grade really, really well, obviously year to year, you know, the top players on defense, whether it's cover players and edge players and defenses, you know, how they play. Actually, 
the efficiency and the success rate of those defenses based on the number of solid players they have you know, going down the list. So not only your first co- best cover player, but your second cover player, your third, your fourth, your fifth, you know, on a defense at one time, you have seven guys because you usually rush four. So you have seven cover players out there potentially. Obviously, the mm-hmm. offense only has five guys that can get out into routes. But he looked at that down the list, and then he looked at pass rush, and he was trying to figure out if, if defense is more star dependent or if it's more, he called it, depth dependent. So that's the depth of players that you have across your defense. So like I said earlier, you can't have black holes. Well, the Browns had like five or six black holes last year on defense that played like 500-plus snaps for them. Well, can I cuss? Yes, you can, can cuss. cuss. Sure. Yeah, you're fucked if you've got five or six black holes on defense. It's just facts. Like, and we part of that was, well, you know, part of that was usage. Part of that was, you know, just guys being forced maybe to play more than they should have. But yeah, they they were screwed, and you know, they ended up with the 28th highest overall grade. People can make excuses for Steve Wilkes and all that stuff, but the facts are a bunch of guys regressed and played poorly and underperformed. And the defense was really, really bad. And we can, you know, you can talk about like the average yards given up or whatever it is, but that's not what I pay attention to. I just, I pay attention to the grades because that's an indication of how individual players are performing. And if you have more individual player, players performing well, your defense is going to be better. So, yeah. um, but anyway, in the data that he found, he found that it's kind of like offensive line. He did the same thing for O line that it's about, it's more about having a lot of solid players than it is about just having that one stud that you're allocating all these resources to. So mm-hmm. having like a solid second, third, fourth rusher, having a solid third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh cover player, having all those players on the field is huge for a defense. Cause they're, you know, maybe they get beat every third play, but they're not getting beat every time they get attacked in coverage. Just mm-hmm. kind of to make a point because Defense is all about, obviously, just slowing down the offense and just trying to get stops. Um, yeah. yeah, we focus on the splash plays sometimes, but I, I think those things have been found to be like, like unstable, like uh, turnovers. They're very unpredictable. Sometimes a, a yeah. defense, like with Greg Williams, we saw a couple years ago. You know, they were leading the league in turnovers. They had like, I don't know, twenty or whatever it was in the first like five weeks of the season because they had the huge turnover game against Pittsburgh where they had like five picks and then the back half of the year they had like no turnovers and that's because turnovers are just not very stable with defense Mm -hmm. really what it's most about is i mean turnovers matter they turn games obviously turnovers are very valuable but what i'm saying is if you want to be focused on the things that are predictive and consistent have a lot of solid cover players get those guys on the field however you can and get them all together playing together. I don't care if they're corner nickel safety linebacker, get all the solid guys that can cover on the field and all your rushers, whether that, you know, in given the situation, get all the guys that can rush. If it's a pass down, get all your rushers on the field. I don't care if the defensive tackles, edge players, if a linebackers may be better at blitzing, but he's worse in coverage. Let's bring him up on the line of scrimmage, take out a defensive tackle, let him blitz. But having lots of guys that can just do a solid to good job is huge key to being successful on defense. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And so, John, I'll let you 
dissect this in a second, but Brendan, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick with a different, with another question, kind of going off what you just said. So, and first of all, Eric Eager does great work at PFF. Love, love listening to um, him on the podcast he does. I think it's forecast, but yeah. Um, so when a guy like Miles Garrett contract comes up, is that a guy that you personally would pay the money he's going to, I mean, there's a good chance Miles Garrett becomes the highest paid defensive end ever until, you know, probably maybe Nick Bosa right now, Chase Young, whoever it might be comes up because I mean, Miles Garrett was, is on the leaderboard for sacks last year and he played half the season. I mean, he, an absolutely generational talent, but you know the the data says go get consistent players that aren't black holes, and paying someone like Miles Garrett when you have to pay someone like Baker Mayfield eventually might make you have a black hole or two on defense. So, what's your personal opinion on that? Uh, my personal opinion would be, I think it's a position, although it's not at quite. You know, by the numbers, it's not quite as valuable as the receivers, the corner or cover players, I should say. Yeah, corners. It's it's behind those, but it's just barely behind those, you know, edge players. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is I said that cover players, you know, coverage is unstable year to year. Well, that's the good thing about pass rush is that it's stable. So that's where mm-hmm. the debate between coverage and pass rush, there's still some debate over it because the pass rushers, Miles Garrett, He's going to be a top pass rusher for the next eight years. Maybe, yeah. I mean, probably 10 plus years. He's going to be one of the top five to 10 pass rushers in the NFL. You know, you're getting that year after year after year with him. So, that, in my opinion, that's worth paying for um, long term. But I do think, and I would be open minded to this, I would be interested to see hey, what can we get for him in a trade? I would just be curious sure. about it. Because look at what. Like, like, look at what Khalil, Khalil Mack brought for the Raiders. They, they could have easily that won that trade. Now, I mean, here's the thing. Like, people thought that was, like, going to send the Bears to the Super Bowl. But the problem is it's so, like we've talked about already with defense, it's so hard to keep them together. They've already lost yeah. a lot of players from their defense. If Trubisky would have been good, yeah, they would have <laughs> maybe made it to the Super Bowl or won the Super Bowl. But the defense wasn't the reason. Khalil Mack yeah. wouldn't have been the reason. The reason, really, the thing that would have been pr- like shooting them over the top and getting them at Super Bowl win would have been Trubisky playing fantastic. So there is a debate to be had. And, and this is why a lot of analytics people thought the Raiders really, like from a process standpoint, because they didn't have to pay Khalil Mack so much money, they thought that they did come out better in that trade because they got two first-round picks and a second round pick, I believe, maybe even two seconds. It was, yeah. but it was a lot of early picks. It was a big and, and they also didn't have to allocate so much cap space to that one player because when yep. you allocate the cap space to that one player, like you just said, it really ties your hands and it might lead to you having more black holes, so to speak, across your roster. So there is a debate to be had, but I would lean toward paying him because he is such a, you know, young. You know, dynamic player, such a great pass rusher, just down after down, you know, year after year, even if it's not quite as valuable as some other positions, at least you know what you're going to get from him. And and that's not also, this isn't to say that stars aren't important. We're not saying that you want just a bunch of like, let's <laughs> like 
related to PFF grades. Like you don't want to just ro- roll out a bunch of seventies, like your entire defense is just all seventies. Like that's, that's not what we're saying. Like you want some guys to be closer to 90, you know, like miles Garrett yeah. was an 86.5 last year. Like you love to have some guys like that. But all that I'm saying is when you have Mac Wilson at 42.9, like Larry Ogundobi's at 56, uh, good luck to you. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, I know this is something that John and I have talked about, kind of, I guess, going into players that you might, you know, want to look at in free agency. You know, we've talked about how I love Larry Ogunjobi. He's one of my favorite players, named my cat after him, after his rookie year. But he's performed poorly these past two years. It's time that they bring in a defensive tackle alongside – because Sheldon Richardson's a very fine defensive tackle. I mean, he might be a little overpaid. But it's not like that cap needs to go anywhere else right now. But I, we'll and when Olivier Vernon, this is an interesting yeah. conversation. We'll have a good conversation on Sheldon Richardson yeah. in a couple minutes. Hmm. All right, yeah, I'll, and I'll be glad to listen to you. Uh, and Olivier Vernon went on the field. He's a he's a talented defensive end. The problem being, you know, can he stay healthy? But right now, there's a lot of even Miles Garrett, I think, gets paid maybe roughly around $10 million, around there because he's the number one pick. Uh, a lot of cap on that defensive line. But I feel personally that they need to bring in a defensive tackle that can push Larry for maybe even to start over him because while he's a fan favorite, he's underperformed, and that's the bottom line. Oh, yeah, I so agree. I guess, I guess what are your thoughts on maybe a – I guess I forgot to ask. Like a free agent, either one of you. John, you can chip in after Brendan – like a free, maybe a free agent out there, defensive lineman that kind of strikes your eye, if that's something that you would go after, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, with Ogan Joby, I mean, he's played a ton of snaps the past two years, which was different from his rookie year. He played 300 snaps his rookie year, and played very, very well as as Danny Shelton's backup at nose tackle. Um, the past two years, like you said, yeah, he's just been very, very mediocre. He's been the worst defensive tackle by far the past two years to play 80% or or more of snaps. Um, Mm -hmm. People, you know, they talk about the snap count, but the thing is when you look at his number of snaps the past two years and look at other players that have played that many, his grade is just so much worse than theirs. It's it's (laughs) not even close. So his reputation is way, way higher than it should be when you actually look at the way that he plays. Um, To me, it looks like he lost – a lot of weight. If you just look at him as his, uh, his rookie year, he had a lot more, I would just say a lot more fat to him. Honestly, a lot more pudge. You saw it more with the power. I mean, he would just toss guys around. He was like an immovable object that could move really well when he was a rookie. And honestly, you saw a lot less of that his second year. And then this past year, I just thought we saw next to none of it. There were some plays, you know, there's always going to be plays with him where like, like a backside guard on on outside zone tries to reach him and he's able to just get in the gap and get in the backfield and make a tackle for a loss and everybody's like, oh, Ogunjobi. Yeah, but like that's once every two or three games that he does that or maybe like even just once a game where down to down, he's usually just getting his ass kicked. But everybody, yeah. you know, watches the ball, which which is fine, but they just don't notice that. So like, I remember like plays on the goal line last year, short yards where he's just getting mauled and he's getting destroyed. And you just can't have that on, on the D line. Like we can say a nose tackle, but you really just can't have it at either defensive tackle spot. 
Um, he was near 100, I think. He was ranked around 100 out of 130 nose, uh, defensive tackles Ooh. or interior defensive linemen that played at least 20% of snaps and then last out of all defensive linemen in each of the past two seasons that played 80%. So, yeah, I think um, I heard that you know the staff wasn't pleased with the way that he looked, so I'm confident that they're looking for a guy to come in and um, hopefully take that starting job. Andrew Billings is a player that I'm intrigued by. He's just been, like we talked about, you know, solid. Like, and, and that's a position also, I'll say, where you don't really need, um, you don't really need like a great pass rusher at that position because when you get in pass situations, you can take out a defensive tackle and put it in a third edge rusher, and now you got three edge players on the field to rush the passer. So yeah. you don't really need that guy to be a fantastic pass rusher. Yeah, you don't want him to be. You don't want to be playing 10 on 11 when they pass the ball, but you know, primarily it's a run run defending position. And I think Andrew Billings would be an example of a guy. And he also fits from an age standpoint. Cause when he came out of college, I think he was like 20 years old when he came out of Baylor. So he has to be only like 25 years old now. Um, yeah, I haven't looked 25. at it. Yeah. But he, yeah, he has to be young. So I think he's a guy that would fit their profile. So I'd be interested to see if they pick him up with, uh, with the Bengals getting DJ reader. Um, and then with Sheldon Richardson, um, he's good. He's, he's a solid, solid three technique. Um, in three days, he is due to make six and a half million more dollars. And I think, I think they're just, they're considering this is just, I'll just say based on some things of, you know, I've gathered, I think they're maybe considering their options when it comes to trading or, you know, cutting him, what they can do with him. Uh, he's definitely overpaid. If you look at players that are paid the way he is at his position, it's all the top defensive tackles in the league. Like Hargrave got a contract that's similar to him, I think. And like exactly Javon Hargrave almost. is way better than Sheldon Richardson. Like, come on. I mean, I like Sheldon Richardson as a player, but he is up and down. That's one thing with him is you look at his grades during a season and it's like, it's just so streaky. And I think in the end of last season, it kind of showed in the way that he played sometimes that like he probably wasn't giving his all. Like I know that a lot of us felt that way about the Browns defense late last season, but he might've been a, a guy like that. So we'll see what they decide to do. Um, I would be very intrigued by just the idea if they're not pleased with the contract and um, the person I'll say, I mean, Sheldon Richardson, he's been on four teams in four years, had a lot of issues early in his career, and he might be one of those Dorsey guys. That's, that's what I'll call it. Um, if they decide that they don't want to deal with him and they let him go in the next three days, I'd be intrigued by bringing in Andrew Billings at nose and bringing in Shelby Harris at three technique from Denver. And he, he graded around, around 90, I think, or 85 plus, um, in 2018 when Woods was there, I believe. And he's, you know, he's just a very well-rounded defensive tackle. I think he's, he's rushed the passer well the past two years, good enough against the run, but I think he would be as long as he's, you know, got the, the age, I haven't looked at exactly the entire profile as far as the age and you never know what the character on players. You just, we just go on what we hear, you know, we don't have the whole picture like they do, but, um, but I would be very intrigued by that if they decide to move on from Richardson, 
But like I said to start, you know, he was their third highest graded defensive player on defense last year. Yeah, third highest defensive player last year by overall grade. And he is a, I think he's a net positive on the field. So if they want to keep him, that's cool. But I'm going to defer to to them on that because they're the ones that have to deal with the contract, working around that, and also the person day-to-day because that's things we're just not privy to. Yeah, that's a smart move, letting them decide. <laughs> John, yeah, I know you I mean, were... obviously, it's always up to them, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to give a strong take on it. I'm not saying... Oh, no, they, I... Whatever. I'm yeah, I was agreeing with you. I'm saying, like, if they cut them, I'm going to... I'm going to try to kind of, like, hint at why on Twitter without... Because I'm never going to assassinate someone's character. I'm just not going to do that. Like, we're not in a position yeah. to do that. You guys get what I'm saying. Like that might be a reason why they would move on. And yeah. and contract is also a thing. So Absolutely. something to consider. Yeah. I wasn't trying to sound smart assy. Sorry if I did. I just meant that's one of those questions where it's so hard to answer because, you know, just think of a pro con list. You know, it's about split 50-50. There's a lot of things Sheldon Richardson can do for your team. Like you said, third highest graded player, probably a net positive when he's on the field, but you know, the four teams in his career, the problems we know happened early in his career. Could there be character issues? And then the money, obviously, but $13.6 million that, dollar cap hit. Yeah. So yeah. it, there's that's, a lot that's of things. For three days from now. So they've got three days to make the decision. And once, uh, once Friday passes, he's either on the team or he'll be playing for someone else, or maybe, maybe he'll be one of those surprise cuts that everybody will be shocked by. But the thing is, if that happens, you guys won't be shocked by it because you'll have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. I didn't even – I hadn't even, like, thought about – I haven't even, like, played with that thought at all. Yeah. But now we'll be able to be like, yeah, you weren't at Brendan Le- – you weren't at LeicesterFootball.com. You would have known that. You're lost, people. But I mean, I didn't uh, write about it. Yeah, you guys see what I'm saying. <laughs> oh yeah absolutely everybody listening to this is gonna go you know they won't be shocked when it if it happens they'll be like you know they they heard it here so that's fantastic yeah um so john i know uh yeah. we'll do this quick and then we'll try to quickly do linebackers and cover guys wait a second you guys are aware they just signed someone right i was just gonna say I'm can not. we break some can we break yeah, some news on the like podcast this. real fast yeah, break some news on the rec- uh, the pre-recorded podcast. <laughs> yeah, as we were recording, uh, they they announced that uh, they signed uh, B.J. Goodson, uh, the linebacker from Green Bay, uh, and previously the Giants, I think, before yeah. that. Um, B.J. Goodson. But yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's curious. I mean, uh, I saw um, what's Clev T.A. put on Twitter that he had a slightly higher grade than uh, Schobert last year, and you know, was okay in pass coverage as well. I mean, everybody on Twitter was burying his coverage skills um, and the fact that he gets hurt a lot. So, but there were highlights real fast of, I mean, he's a thumper, that's for sure. So he's going to knock somebody out of their cleats. And, Do you have uh, the contract in front of you? Do you know how much? One no, year. I, don't. I, don't, I don't. I don't know the numbers, but I know it's one year. That's oh, what I saw. Okay. One year fully okay. guaranteed. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's it's kind of uh, I think that's the third Green Bay linebacker to be signed by a different team now, if I'm not mistaken. So that's I just a little well, Blake Martinez tidbit. definitely signed somewhere else. They all watch the 49ers game. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh, I, uh, that's funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just looking at 
or they didn't watch them. That's uh, my bad. I messed that joke up. They didn't watch the 49ers game. (laughs) (laughs) I understood what you were saying. I just, yeah, they didn't uh, watch it. (laughs) So I'm looking at his profile. And the first thing I notice is is his numbers. Third is numbers. 93. I honestly don't know anything about him. Is his weight's only 241, so there's no, there, is he uh any, Brendan? Do you know anything about him? I, number nine. Yeah, I think I think what's gonna happen is he'll probably compete at Mike linebacker. That's that's oh, what I'm okay. I'm gonna assume, and um, you know he'll compete with Sione Takitaki for that spot. And I think that it's safe to say that he yeah he's a thumper. Plays a ton of special teams. 165 snaps on special teams last year. Like that's that's a lot of special teams. Wow. Um, yeah, he's played 705 snaps in four years on special teams. So this is clearly a guy that, you know, maybe maybe Prefer likes him. So if he doesn't get the starting Mike linebacker job, he can play special teams for them. But I think one thing about this move is if he if he were to get the starting job at Mike linebacker, this is a player that you probably take off the field put in a sub linebacker or a safety for in past situations. That's the way that I would view this. And I think, I think there's a good chance that that's the way they're going to look at thing. I think woods is I've heard, I've heard from, um, you know, people around like Denver media and stuff. And they told me that woods is very into hybrid players, like very into guys that can play safety as well as nickel and safety as well as playing linebacker. And, so I think that Goodson's not that type. He's the thumping linebacker. What I'm saying is maybe he's in on rundowns, and then you put in a safety for him at linebacker, like Adrian Phillips, for example, if they can sign him. And now that's your you know, pass-down linebacker, even though he was playing strong safety on second down. You know, so that's just kind of how I'm viewing this. I don't, he was only in coverage 108 snaps last year out of 305 snaps on the field. Um, only 219 snaps in coverage out of 513 snaps the year before that. So this is clearly not a guy that his teams are looking to have in coverage a whole lot. I mean, he, he only had 11 targets in coverage last season and gave up 10 receptions. Um, but his tackle grade is really good. He's only missed 10 tackles in four years on defense. Damn, that's what they need. Holy. So the Browns have been missing yeah. – the Browns have so been missing I, that – past few years yeah i think that's something again like you're looking for you're just looking for like solid and if you can just stop the bleeding on defense and part that of linebacker bleeding is angles and getting guys on the ground so yeah i'm not Browns gonna sit here and, yeah i'm not oh, gonna sorry, sit here sorry. and be like i love this signing fantastic stuff all that but I, I think it's important to just look at the way they're probably going to use the guy and yeah he'll probably compete with taki taki Hopefully, Taki Taki takes the job, makes this guy be the backup. But in the event that yeah. he's the starter, so to speak, on rundowns, you know, we kind of know what we're getting into. And I don't see him being a guy that plays on pass downs. I just don't. I don't buy that at this point. Yeah, that's fair, especially yeah. with what the data says and what he's been in the past. I guess we don't have to talk on this too long because I did. I know you said that, you know, looking at the draft, you thought left tackle you've thought left or right tackle and now you are really thinking left tackle but with what you just said about uh joe woods being really into hybrid type players it just i have to bring it up now what isaiah simmons if he's available at 10 i know john would fall out of his rocking chair um yep big time 
So obviously Isaiah Simmons, you watch him and there's not many players like him in the NFL really. Um, but would you feel comfortable taking him at 10, whereas he is listed as a linebacker, he has the coverage ability to make him more valuable than what a thumping linebacker does in today's NFL. So what are your, what would your thoughts be if for some reason at 10 they thought, well, we're getting a half safety out of this. Like we're getting a kind of safety guy who can also uh, has covered the slot a lot in college. What would your yeah. thoughts be? Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, you've alluded to my website. I've, I've watched his basically all of his, we have playlists for, you know, PFF and it's like key plays. So like you can watch like a prospects, all of his key plays from a season. So anything that he was involved with where something significant happened. So I studied that and I took notes on him, did a, you know, I did a write up a summary comparison, all that stuff. I view him much more as a linebacker than a safety. I, I think some of the plays that people, you know, there's these like flashy plays that were made. Like, for example, this is the play that everybody always shows. They show the play where he is, he lines up single high to start out and he rolls to the deep half in cover two against Ohio state. Justin Fields stares it down the entire time. Doesn't hold him on the hash and it's an interception. Everyone goes, Oh my God, he just made that play from center field. How did he do that? Well, the reason because they showed single high and they rolled the cover two and he ran like he's just going to his zone and the quarterback stared it down and threw it right to him. Like any fast player could have made that play, but that's the play everybody <laughs> wants to look at to start out yeah. on all these highlight videos. Like that kind of bothers me. There's not, I mean, that's not a, an instinctual play like Earl Thomas is, you know, that's not the type of play that these free safeties, you know, are making like. Like, any safety is going to make that play. That's what I'm saying. That's not something that you're projecting forward being like, wow, what an incredible safety prospect. Um, yeah, I view him as a linebacker. I think his biggest strengths right now from, you know, I studied him, like I said, I studied him actually more than any player in this draft class so far. But I think he's best as a blitzer. I think he's best as a spy. I think that's his two best skill sets at this, or his two best skills at this point. I don't love his instincts and coverage. Like there's times where he passes off routes to come into his zone when he shouldn't. There's times where he doesn't cover routes that come into his zone. He'll, you know, leave his zone and cover the linebacker next to his, like it'll end up where there's two guys covering the same man and you can tell it's on him. And then there's a bust and the receiver catches the ball. Just for example, I think, I think that Clemson kind of did him a slight by moving him around so much because he's not great at any one thing except for the the athletic stuff. Like he's a fantastic athlete as a spy. Like duh, he's good. He runs a four three nine and he's you know long. Like he he can just spy the quarterback or a running back and just go get him. You know because his closing speed is incredible. Um, but in coverage, I just think there's a ways to go. And also like when you watch the snaps in man to man. If he's facing a quicker guy, like a guy that runs really savvy routes, I just don't see the change of direction skills right now and just the experience in those situations to really be good at covering one-on-one. -on -one. So I, I just have questions with it. I'm not quite as high on him as some people. I do think that his talent level is that of a first-round player, but I would prefer that they take a tackle at 10. And and I also think someone is going to fall in love with him before 10, and he's already be going to be gone by that point, most likely. Um, I think with him, it's going to be a situation where 
I mean, we've already talked about this a few times, but it's so important with defensive players. Usage. You got to put him in the right role. You got to put him in the right situations. Have him do what he's good at early. You don't want to have him at safety. Like you don't want him in the middle of like in the deep middle getting looked off by safeties and having to change direction in tight quarters, Um, like covering the slot. Like, like, yeah, he did that in college, but that, that is a very typical Sam linebacker role at the high school and college level. Like Darren Lee played that role for Ohio state a few years ago. Those players transitioned to inside linebacker in the NFL and that's a completely different game when you're playing between the tackles as a linebacker and you have to read guards and, and Simmons is very raw in that aspect. And that's something he's going to have to do if he's playing well linebacker. But then if he's playing safety, now he's going to have to play in space a lot and he'll get matched up on receivers sometimes and really good route running tight ends in space. So there's just, I have a lot of questions about, um, about that, like in the box, defending the run. Like there's going to be plays where, like I said to someone earlier on Twitter, like, there's going to be plays where he's just like he stands and he's got his eyes in the backfield and he doesn't really like read what's coming and he stands there and the running back's just through his gap. And those are plays that happen because he's just not that experienced in those roles. And I think he was really cut thin and he's kind of like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. But if you get him in a lot of situations where he's blitzing, like as an interior blitzer coming on stunts and twists and, off the edge, get him matched up on especially like tight ends and pass protection and slow-footed tackles and also spying quarterbacks. I think that's where he'll be at his best. I've compared him to Jamie Collins early in his career for New England. I think that is the type of player that he has the potential to be like. Jamie Collins at one point played safety for Southern Miss. He played defensive end and linebacker for Southern Miss. By the end of it, he was playing defensive end. He was a rusher. And then New England drafted him, moved him to linebacker. That's the type of player I view him as. I don't think of him as, you know, the bigger Tyron Matthew. Because what, what, make, what makes players like Matthew special, it's their change of direction ability because they're smaller guys. And Simmons, just he does not change direction like that because he's a long-limbed, you know, sure. long athlete. He's more like a Collins or a, even a Ryan Shazier. Okay. Breaking more news. Uh, Browns have agreed to terms with safety, uh, Carl Joseph. Um, so who I really liked coming out of West Virginia. That was one of the guys that I really enjoyed watching. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Brendan, but I think he was graded pretty, uh, he was graded good, good. Like you said, good enough for PFF last year. He's the kind of guy you want. Yeah. I'm going to bring him up right now. Oh, you guys can chime in on on Simmons. I know that I have a different opinion on him and I'm sorry that was long winded, but I just think there's like a lot of nuance to the whole thing. And it's going to depend on the defensive coordinator, but if Woods loves him, I'm, I'm open to it. It, it really comes down to that. Oh, this is, yeah. I'll let you talk, John. Sorry. I've been interrupting you a lot. No, it's <laughs> totally fine. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, honestly, this is one of the reasons, well, it's, you know, pretty much all the reasons why, you know, bringing you on the pod is fantastic because, you know, it's, it's that nuance that, you can deliver that, you know, we probably just don't have the same access to or the same, you know, film watching skills and the same. Yeah. Just the whole, you know, I mean, it's, it's what you do, you know, for a living. And so, you know what I mean? Like your, your knowledge of it, your insight of, you know, is better and just more acute. And so, you know, that's great. Like, um, 
you know, I, I can totally understand, you know, the, like the, I can see the interception that you're talking about the play on the sidelines, like where he mm-hmm. caught it right before going out of bounds. Like I, I remember that play and thinking, Oh my God, this guy's everywhere. And so, you know, you're right. If you're untrained, like, you know, we are like, you look at it and see, you know, flashes of brilliance and really it's like, yeah, but fields, you know, kind of just threw it right to him. So, um, but yeah. And so, you know, that's a, you know, it is what it is and everything like that. So, but, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, mentioning the part about, um, that he's not a bigger Tyron Matthew, you know, like, cause you know, we had talked about it being similar to, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. And, you know, they're very, you know, according to you, like they're very different players. And so, you know, I think that that's good. Like that's, that's good to say, because, you know, I don't want to, you know, we're trying to talk about some of these players here and, you know, I want to get things right and be accurate, obviously. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and the need for tackle is obviously big. So, you know what I mean? But like you said, it's probably a moot point because someone's, he's going to get taken in the first, once he ran that four, three, nine, like that's, it's over. Like he's going, you know, in the top six for sure. Dave so. Gettleman fell in love with him in the senior at senior day. <laughs> no, but Dave Gettleman probably fell in love with him watching that 40. Yeah, he's Dave Gettleman's gonna take Isaiah Simmons or Mackay Becton. I mean, I would put money on that at the Vegas Superbook. He's, the, I think he might take Werfs. I think he the, might take Werfs. The ghost of Al oh, Davis okay. or Werfs. Anyone that had a great combine, <laughs> Dave Gettleman's it. licking his chops. Yeah, basically, absolutely. So, but yeah, uh, um, but yeah. So, Carl Joseph, John, you like haters. him? Yeah, yeah I would mean, you? It's always tough. Like I say, he, when he was coming out of West Virginia, this was, uh, so when the Browns were really, um, you know, when they had the first pick in the draft every year and, you know, with Sashi Brown and before that era, even like, that's when I, I tried to do, um, like I was always on, you know, online, like looking at draft guides and trying to like watch film and just be like as much in tune with, you know, cause the picks, you know, it mattered, right? All these guys were, we always had like a top three pick, a top five pick. And it was like, who are they going to take? Like what's going on, you know? And, um, and so I, yeah, I just, he just was one that stood out and I just kind of, you know, I, I just liked his game and I mean, playing at West Virginia. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's always tough. Like, you know, you, these guys are, they're entering free agency for a reason, right? Like there's very few times when teams are like, Hey, let's let this really good player walk. In fact, <laughs> Austin Hooper might be one of those guys. Like that's, it's a really head scratching move for Atlanta. Like I just don't, especially when they then traded, they gave up a second round pick to go get Hayden Hurst. Like, mm-hmm. why didn't you just re-sign Hooper? Like, why did yeah. you feel like, you know what? Let's get a worse tight end who's older and then also give up draft capital. Just mm-hmm. sign the guy you had. It's ten million dollars. What are you talking? It's nothing. It's a. Hey, I don't think Hurst is already actually, older than Austin. Hooper. I think that's what I had to yeah. do. With. Yeah, he is. He oh is. He was a twenty-five-year-old rookie. Yeah. Yes. Right. Exactly. That was <laughs> nice. his famous. Yeah, he was twenty-five when he got when he was uh, drafted. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just oh. it's bizarre. So Joseph, like I said, despite the fact that I liked him, you know, I, I like I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch a ton of Raiders games and stuff except when we played them, and you know. So I don't know. I got to look into this and see what's going on. But yeah, anything off the top of your head, Brendan, that comes to mind with him or. Yeah, I think he's just versatile. I mean, I remember at West Virginia, like you alluded to, I mean, I, I studied him coming out and I liked him also. And, uh, I, I just remember that he had like really, really impressive flashes as a free safety, like as a single high safety. And some people, it was funny, the range of comparisons, there were smart people I respected. Um, 
there were some people that would like compare some of the flashes to like Earl Thomas, like free safety. But then there was other people that actually compared him to Cam Chancellor, which is wild. You know, Whoa. obviously he hasn't lived up to either of those. But that was like this bizarre range of predictions people made or comparisons people made. But the reason for that is because on film at West Virginia, he did so many things. There were times where he would be this, like he's always been a big hitter. He's always been a physical presence in the middle of the field. That's been something he's always been good at, but he's also a good athlete. So he'd be able to make these rangy plays like we're alluding to uh, with, you know, what people thought they saw from Simmons where, you know, maybe the player is middle of the field safety and he reads the quarterback eyes and breaks and makes a play on the numbers or something like that's an impressive rangy play so he does have those physical skills to do that but um yeah just as far as what he's done with the Raiders like last year he played as a free safety 315 snaps he played the box 177 snaps mm. um, as a slot corner 53 as a wide corner 16 so they were probably in man-to-man in those situations he was matched up on a tight end and they flexed out the tight end so that's where he would have followed him out wide okay. um and then but then you look at the year before that, and no, it was two years. I was looking at this a couple minutes ago. So then two years, so then it's 349 snaps in the box, 109 at slot corner, 376 at free safety. So this is a player that can play deep. He can play as a strong safety. He can play in the box. I think it's exactly the type of player that, like, that Woods is looking for where it's a versatile guy on the back end that can provide. And again, we're talking about solid play throughout his career. It's all green. That's, you know, that's color coded grades. So like green is just solid. It's 69.9, That's his grades overall. There's no forties and fifties here. It's not a player that's been bouncing up and down. You know, it's just, solid um he took like a slight step back from 2018 in coverage this past season um it looks like just you know based on the grades which and i'm gonna admit you know the grades there's always missing context like how i've alluded to like a player how he was used maybe he could have been used a little bit more efficiently which would have bumped up his grade a little bit higher or maybe he was maxed out and his grade might go a little bit lower so you never know but um yeah like he had a 94.5 pass rush grade in 2017, which is pretty wild. I mean, he had six pressures that year, but he must he, – he didn't have a lot of pass rush tonight. He had six pressures on 15 pass rushes. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive, yeah. And the, the rush grade tells me that he was beating people getting to the quarterback because if he was unblocked, he wouldn't have had a good rush grade in the, on those uh, snaps. But, yeah, run, def, run defense grade – 78.2, 77.1, 78.1. So yeah, I think he'll probably be a strong safety for them, which was a massive need. Um, I think of Sheldrick Redwine as more of a free safety. And I think that he, you know, we'll see what they do at free safety, but he might get a shot to compete. But I think that Carl Joseph definitely starting, uh, starting strong safety player that could potentially play some big big nickel as well if you want to have three safeties in the game he could come down near the line of scrimmage and play as a big nickel and then also like we alluded to if you want to take Goodson off the field on a pass down and put in Carl Joseph and hey maybe you blitz him maybe you spy him maybe you let him play an underneath zone or robber in the middle of the field he can do all those things so yeah I like I like that pickup and it was something that I, I kind of 
he was a player I kind of thought the Browns might be targeting, but there's just so many safeties this year that it was hard to tell exactly which one. Um, I would expect that they'll sign another one, probably, maybe even two, and then probably draft one as well. Hmm. Excellent. Oh, yeah. The, the overall grade on? last year ranked 38th out of 102 um, safeties last season. And then a 78.2 run defense grade ranked 13th. So yeah, played pretty well. Just oh, a solid that's not good bad player. at all. My bad, John. Thank you for the text. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> good, thing good. I, good thing I only said one thing. Uh, I was just <laughs> about to ready to say one thing. While the uh, you mentioned that he only had 15 pass, rush, pass rushing snaps, which isn't a big number, but if you look at it as a he's a safety, you know, maybe – they let him go on one or two blitzes a game, and he gets there a little under half the time. You know that that's something that the quarterback has to watch out for. And right. you know, and then the other thing that stood out to me, which it it is a big deal because I everything that I have seen the Ravens do this offseason leads me to believe that there's no reason outside the Chiefs they'll be the best team in football. They they filled in their one problem, which was their biggest problem, which was getting to the passer without a blitz. So they went and got Brockers and Calais Campbell. For that Calais Campbell trade killed my. I mean, it just broke my soul. Yeah. And uh, so Carl Joseph being a, being a good run defender, I think you said he had seventy eight grades around there. Yeah. So it's just good. That's just like good solid play. That, yeah. That's. Well, I don't always throw the numbers around a ton because people don't understand the context of the numbers. Yeah. But yeah, I'll just say he's been good as a run defender consistently. The the yeah. one question with him is health. He's just, he hasn't played like, he's only played 575 snaps and 509 snaps the past two seasons. So I think he's been, during his career, he's been a guy that's gotten banged up. So, so I was just looking this up because he's, uh, he, uh, he ended the season early last year. He played nine games, I think, and it was a foot injury. And I was trying to get the details on it. It took me a second. Um, so it ended up where the foot injury was, um, so plantar fasciitis, um, mm. which was swollen for a long time. So they couldn't even get a read on it because they had no idea. They had to wait till the swelling went down. But it ended up where they put two screws in his foot. Um, and this says here, a uh, couple screws inserted is expected to be good to go when teams offseason programs start next April. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe the uh, injury is uh, fortuitous timing for the Browns because, you know, maybe if he doesn't get injured, he just resigns in Oakland. And, uh, you know, it yeah. seems like from a depth standpoint, from a, you know, just having solid bodies on the roster, this seems like a fantastic move. Yeah. Did right. they say how many years the deal was? One. I don't have. Oh, one, year. one year deal. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. I, li I like that because yeah. I like that they've got one year deals on these guys. The reason for that, it's no long-term investment when you've got Garrett, Ward, Baker coming up with extensions needed. And also, yeah. there's pressure on these guys to play well because they want to get paid next offseason. Yeah. So I, I love that they're given the one-year deals. That's that's awesome. Just play really, really well this year and go get paid. Go get paid somewhere else. And then maybe you get a comp pick back for them if you don't go crazy in free agency next year. So, yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot of um, – yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts to this. But, yeah, I think there will be one or two – I mean, there will probably be three – plus more additions at safety this offseason. But I like that. I like that move. 
I'm excited to see what else they do with that position. He's also only 26 years old. I was just going to say, all these guys are young, too. You know, they're not, there's, none of these are like, hey, they signed a 33-year-old linebacker to fill in. You know, it's like, these are all young guys. So, Mm -hmm. all the upside in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also you guys mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned the thing, you know, about not getting re-signed by Oakland. Well, he wasn't a Mayock guy. And, I mean, we all know that 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 happens a lot. Like, he just, he wasn't a Mayock guy. He's been there since 2016 when they had different coaches and, all that different management. So that happens a lot where teams yep. let guys go and he's been hurt a lot too, you know, so it makes sense. I'm sure that they feel, well, they took the safety, the big hitter from a year ago. You know, they took that kid in the first round last year. I forget his name off the top of my head, oh, but Jonathan he was hurt. Abrams. as Yeah. Jonathan Abrams. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was hurt his whole rookie year, but they expect big things from him. So he's going to play more of that role. Probably they're thinking and, they probably think they can replace him with other guys and they probably can. Cause that's the thing with NFL players. There's a lot of solid or good NFL players out there. So, you know, it's all about just, yeah. Yeah. We'll see yeah, what finding, happens. Finding good players and not having black holes. I, 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 and I've been following your tweets about that. And obviously I listened to the PFF podcast with Steve and, uh, Sam, Sam has been really pissing off the Buffalo Bills fans, which just makes me laugh lately. Uh, he speaks the truth, and they don't like it. He says his mind. But, um, you know, it's been an hour and a half recording. Brendan, I don't want to hold you all night. So I, I've i asked you everything that I wanted to get out of you. I've It's insane the amount I learn every time I bring you, you know, you're, you come on this show. So is there anything else you wanted to add about you know, this offense or the defense and what they've added or what they need to add or anything you want to, you know, sprinkle in? Uh, yeah, I think one of their next signings is going to have to be a nickel. Um, at this point, the only guys that have played like any, they haven't even played regular season snaps at nickel, really. I think Tavier Thomas might have played one at <laughs> nickel, but he's primarily, primarily a special teamer. Yeah. Um, but Donnie Lewis Jr. played a little bit of nickel in preseason, and then Tavier Thomas played a little bit in preseason and tiny, tiny bit in the regular season. But they have nobody on the roster to play it. Um, people you know, they keep arguing with me, hey, Terrence Mitchell can do it, Terrence Mitchell can do it. Well, no, he can't. It comes back again to the, the change of direction thing. I mean, it's just he, he is much more well-suited to play on the outside against outside mm-hmm. corners where he's got the boundary to help him you know, all that. He can't play in space like like a nickel needs to, in my opinion. I mean, who knows? Maybe they disagree with me and he'll prove me wrong, but that's just my analysis on it. He's graded very, very poorly in the small sample size of of uh, snaps that he's played as a nickel in his career. I think his, maybe his first or second year in the league, he played like a small, like maybe 50 snaps at nickel or something, and he graded really poorly in those snaps. Ever since then, he's been primarily an outside guy. I view Terrence Mitchell as depth on the outside. Denzel Ward can't handle it. I mean, the nickel's involved in run fits a lot. You don't want Denzel Ward to be in a run fit. That that would be stupidity. He's He is a prototypical outside corner. You know, that's primarily what Denzel Ward is always going to do, in my opinion. And uh, 
Grady Williams, same thing as Terrence Mitchell. Just he is an outside corner, doesn't have the change of direction skills to cover inside. I think maybe as as his career goes on, you could get a little bit creative with Greedy. Maybe put him on some tight ends once in a while. That's something you might want to consider against some of these receiving tight ends, maybe because he's got that length and that you know that ability to go up and uh, you know make plays on the ball in the air. But yeah, they just don't have anybody to play that position right now, and. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we'll see in the next day or two. I think they'll bring one in. Um, I think Joseph, like I alluded to, I think he's a guy that, that can actually play as a big nickel. So as a third safety, when they want to keep four four defensive linemen, two linebackers, three safeties, and two corners on the field, I think Joseph can do that. But I think they definitely need a corner that can play inside. Yeah, anybody uh, – I was trying to look through the list and see if anybody stood out. I, I didn't really notice anybody, to be honest with you, that uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, Ronald Darby, Mackenzie Alexander, Desmond yeah. Trufant just signed. Yeah, so here's here's some of the you know some of the nickels that are available. So Nickel Roby Coleman, okay. um, he's definitely – like he's one of the best nickels in the league, hence his name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Logan Ryan – Mackenzie Alexander, um, that's a few of them. Okay. So yeah, there's clearly a connection to Mackenzie Alexander. Who knows if he, you know, gets a deal somewhere else? But there's a connection there with the Browns having the former assistant special teams coach from the Vikings. He's now the Browns special teams coach. So there is a connection there, and obviously with Stefanski. So we'll see what happens. But there's there's names beyond that also. Um, Ross Cock. Ross Cockrell, man, that's a weird name. Weird name to say. A lot weirder than it looks. Uh, Nevin Lawson, Tremaine Brock. Those are just a few names of guys that can play nickel. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I would imagine the Browns are going to try to get one of those few top guys. Yep. Yeah, that's a position that I've seen on uh, you hounding on Twitter. Like, it, it needs to be done. This is not a position that you can't – this is not a position that you can just – try to put you know greedy or terrence mitchell in there that's not that is not their archetype at all it it just won't work and you can't have another you know we saw it with the chiefs your defense can be you know average but it cannot be you cannot have a bad defense and win a lot of games in the nfl it just can't be done i don't think that we're ever going to see you know another def. i don't know if we're going to see a lot of defenses ever lead teams to championships like the old days. I mean, it's the new era's offense wins. But, they've, you know, PFF looked at the Chiefs in 2019 compared to 2020, and it's just the defense is astronomically different, and that's probably what made the difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Midway through the season, um, their defensive coordinator, I think, saved the season, basically, because they were getting torched in pass coverage at the linebacker level. And what he started doing was playing three safeties – and that like completely fixed their underneath coverage, I guess. And they started giving up a passer rating of like, I don't know the numbers exactly, but I know that that was like a huge difference maker for them in coverage was basically what we've been alluding to. And Steve Palazzolo says it a lot is just getting back to average. You yeah. just get back to average. That's all you need to do on defense. Get back to average on the offensive line. Get back to average on defense. And also, hey, if your quarterback grades out really, really well, 
maybe you got a shot. Yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is all right over there in the city. But, uh, uh, well, Brendan, I cannot thank you. We cannot thank you enough for having you on. Uh, it's always a blast. Uh, again, you can find him at Brendan Leister on Twitter. I'll put the t- I'll put all the every I'll put all the links to him in the description to this podcast. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Seriously, it's always a blast talking to you. And I just it's it's nice to get a deeper understanding. I mean, I I listen. I follow PFF. I study what they say. But it's also nice to hear someone that truly understands it deeper than I do. Try to explain it to me and. Uh, yeah, I can't thank you enough. Man, thank you guys. I always enjoy it. And um, if you guys want to have me on in the next week or two, I'd love to come on again and keep talking about the Browns' needs, what else they've done, and also going into the draft, what they need to do. Yeah, man. Yeah, that'd be I'd great. love that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like going to school. It's it's really sitting here listening and you know and learning for like an hour, hour and a half about football. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah. great. And you know, I don't. I mean, I don't think you can ever, you know, learn enough. That's for sure. Or at least I know yeah. I can't. But, I mean, yeah, so this is phenomenal. I know that everybody that listens will appreciate it. So, again, thank you very much for coming on. And we'll definitely have you back uh, as soon as they get, you know, more of these signings and uh, deals sorted out for sure. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good night. All yep, right, Brendan. Stay safe care. out there. Yeah, you too. This podcast is also brought to you by Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is so easy to use. It's simple, it's fast, it's effective. It's the easiest way to distribute your podcast to every major platform and in the quickest way. I've gone through other websites to host podcasts, and it's a pain in the butt. Anchor does it for you. Join anchor.fm and do your podcast the right way. And if you're looking to start a podcast, contact one of us at ATV Sports as we're looking for podcasters for nearly every professional sports team right now. If you think you'd be a good fit, You can also apply at our website, www.atbsports.net. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by ThriveFantasy.com. You can also find it in any app store. Thrive Fantasy takes DFS to a whole new level, prop betting. What they're going to do is give you a stat of a top 20 player. You pick the over, the under. If you Get the over or under right, you get points. If you get points, you win, and if you win, you get money. But there's another way to get money. Use code ATB at sign up and get a free $10 on your first deposit. You help us, you help thrive, you help yourself. We're about to go through and give you some thrive action. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the show.